Our text begins in verse 12 with the word for, F-O-R. You can translate that because. There's just the foundation of what the verses preceding it. Let me read then to you, beginning at verse, the middle of verse 8 there, of chapter 8 of Hebrews through verse 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I show no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Our topic this morning is about the God who forgets. A rather disturbing thought on the face of it. How can we have such a confidence in a God like that? Certainly he would not be omniscient. Our text then deals with the God, however, who forgets. Yet forgetfulness is such a, a human characteristic that we can't escape identifying forgetfulness even with God. How often we forget things. We forget appointments. We forget names and faces. We forget promises. We forget vows that we've made. We forget to mail letters. We forget the answers to tests in school. We forget anniversaries. So the fact, however, remains that our God, the God revealed in this holy word, is a God who forgets. We want to consider, first of all, what he forgets, and then secondly, how he forgets. Just what is it that God forgets? Does he forget to control the stars in the heavens so they keep colliding with one another? No. Does he forget to arrange for the sun to rise in the morning? No. Does he forget the flowers in the field? What about the birds of the air? No. In Matthew 6, 26, Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Well, what about gravity? Do we find ourselves sometimes floating off into space because we're not hooked to the earth? No. Gravity goes on and on. Does he forget the ocean tides? No, they come in and go out, high and low. Does he forget his people? Well, we, we may forget him, but he does not forget us. Does he forget his promises? No, they are always fulfilled. None of these, nor anything like them, is what he forgets. No, there's only one thing in the whole universe that God forgets. And yet it's the very thing that we want him to forget. Our sins our sins. Last part of verse 12. I will remember their sins no more. Now the word sins, that's a very unpopular word in our day. Something 
our modern world really doesn't think about, has no interest in. Their understanding of sins are, are things of, of an extreme nature, of, of wickedness. But the Bible uh, has different words for sins. The word, Greek word here translated uh, means missing the mark of glorifying God. At the first part of verse 12, you'll find the word iniquities. That's a different Greek word. And that one means unrighteousness. And then over in the 10th chapter, verse 17, where this is repeated, it's a different Greek word used there. Lawless deeds, self-centered rebellion against the Lord. Putting them together, Arthur W. Pink said, man is guilty of multiplied enormities. And I wonder how often we who trust in Christ even think about the enormity of our sins. Not just the ones we have already done today, but the ones of the past week, the past month, the past year, the past years. What an innumerable number of sins there are. Verse 12 is the final part of a quotation from the prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 31. His prophetic words there are fulfilled here in Hebrews chapter 8. Jeremiah wrote on the eve of the 70 years of exile when the time would come when no longer could the people of God offer sacrifices. And isn't it interesting that how appropriate Hebrews is, because since the time was soon coming when with the leveling of the city of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 A.D., once again they would not be able to offer sacrifices. Under the Old Covenant, Jehovah was a, a pardoning God, incomparably. For example, in Exodus 34, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And then Micah chapter 7, verse 18, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? But the Old Testament saints had a problem. The problem was that the divine pardon and forgiveness by offering one sacrifice after another, after another, and a never-ending end of sacrifices was always felt to be incomplete. They were good. They were genuine. It was proper that they did offer those sacrifices. But in themselves, there was no guarantee of any lasting effect. They were legal. They were external. How dreary the constant procession of thousands and thousands of animals being slaughtered at the altar down through the centuries. But all those sacrifices always were crying out, more, more. But now, something better has come. A new idea. A new reality. A richer concept of God's forgiveness. Where the Lord says, originally through Jeremiah, quoted by the author of Hebrews, I will remember their sins no more, the sins of his people. How are we to understand this? Strictly speaking, the mind of God, the infinite mind of God, cannot forget them. He knows they occurred. 
He cannot forget that men are sinners. He cannot forget that even you who are believers here uh, this morning, we sin. We continue to do that. How can he just overlook that? Well, think of the word, or look at the word remember. I will remember. The Hebrew word means doing something to the advantage or disadvantage of someone. Here the advantage is what? Forgiving sin by forgetting sin. One more thing here, at the end of verse 12, I will remember their sins no more. That's called a, a double negative in the Hebrew for emphasis. What the Lord is saying is, I will not remember their sins never, 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 never. No coming reproach we have to fear. No rehash. No dredging up the past. 1 John 4, 17b, God's love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. We can have confidence in the day of judgment. We don't have to worry about those sins because he does not remember them. You and I will continue to remember them. They haunt us quite a bit. They bother us. And we have to suffer consequences from those sins. Other people from time to time might remind you of those sins. But God forgets them. Clara Barton became known as a very faithful nurse during the Civil War. She became the founder of what we know as the Red Cross. One day a friend recalled to her a cruel deed that had been committed against her. Clara, don't you remember? And Clara Barton calmly replied, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. I will remember their sins no more. But how can that be? We deserve to be forgotten by the Lord. We are sinful creatures who have forsaken him time and time again. So by right, he should forsake us. How can a holy God forget our sins? Does he just shut his eyes to the facts? Does he ignore the truth? Does he compromise his justice in some way? The answer is found at the beginning of verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. There's the answer. The mercy of God. What is the mercy of God? His goodness toward those in misery and distress. So that sinners like us won't get what we deserve. Mercy is an act of God's grace whereby he satisfies divine justice and thereby is enabled to forget our sins. The Bible scholar F.F. Bruce wrote, If our sins are remembered by God, his holiness must take action against them. But if they are not remembered, it is because his grace has determined to forgive them, not in spite of his holiness, but in harmony with it. It took nothing less than the blood of the cross 
to make God forget our sins. What a terrible high price for the Son of God to pay. What was the alternative? For God to forget us forever. Listen to these verses in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. For he, he has no need, talk about Jesus, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He was without sin. Chapter 9, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Verse 26 of chapter 9. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Just a few verses from the book of Hebrews indicating how God is enabled to forgive our sins. He doesn't ignore them, but he does deal with them in a most gracious way. Not by any moral purity on our part, not by some self-acquired holiness which we achieve, not our good deeds, but by faith alone in the righteousness of Christ. And this then puts us in the realm of the great doctrine of justification. What is justification by faith? Our catechism answers it this way. Justification is an act of God's free grace, or His free mercy, whereby He pardons all of our sins and declares us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, credited to us, reckoned to us, and received by faith alone. There's the heart of the gospel right there. There's the good news of the gospel, that our sins can be not only forgiven but forgotten by the holy God. So the believer can say, I'm justified. God treats me justified never sin. I didn't come up with that, but it's a clever thing to help you understand what it means to be justified in the sight of God. Here's the key idea now. Make sure you get this. God forgets sins by treating them as if our sins are forgotten. As if they ceased entirely to be remembered. As if the person had never sinned. Therefore, as any, far as any divine legal punishment for us is concerned, in His mercy, He places them in deep oblivion. Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Where does east begin? Where does west begin? Forgotten. How do we forgive sin, sinners, by, other people, by the way? Well, it's probably something like this, whether we admit it or not. Okay, I know you wronged me, 
and I forgive you, but I won't forget. We kind of harbor that in our hearts. It's not true forgiveness. Genuine forgiveness requires you to treat other people as if he or she had never wronged you. Think of a parent with a child, whether it's stolen cookies from the cookie jar, whether it's a temper tantrum, or breaking something that they shouldn't have been dealing with. What does the parent do? The parent brings down the punishment, and then righteous indignation comes on hard on the child. And then after that's done, the little child says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the parent will say, I forgive you. Just don't let it happen again. I forgive you. Does the parent forget that that happened? No. But she treats her child as if that child had not done it at all. Albert Barnes, an old Presbyterian scholar from years past, he wrote this. That which distinguishes the Christian gospel from all other systems, ancient and modern, philosophical and moral, pagan and deistical, is the provision for the forgiveness of sin that actually bestows pardon on the guilty. This is the center, the crown, the glory of the new covenant. So let's ask again, what happens to our sins when we confess them with true repentance and sorrow? Let me share a personal experience and then an anonymous poem that relates to that experience. I was a teenage, teenager in uh, the Sunday school class of, of teenage boys. We were taken by our teacher one day out on a little motor trip for about three days. We went out to Southern California into Arizona. And one of the places we stopped at was Jerome, Arizona. I'm sure some of you have been there or have known about it. It's a deserted ghost town. And in this place was a deep mine shaft. And for a while, there was about, oh, 15, 20 of our boys. We were throwing different rocks into it, and they were clanging around. And finally, most of the boys left. And I think I was left with about one or two other boys. And I said, hey, I'm going to do an experiment here. It's kind of quiet now. And I took a, a rather large-sized rock, and <clears throat> I went over and I threw the rock in. Clang! Clang, clang, bang, 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 bang. That went for, on for a very long time. You could hear that thing clanging and clanging, clanging. How deep that shaft was, I don't know. Kept doing it and doing it and doing it. Until finally, couldn't hear anything. Contrite to God, I came in sore distress. I cried. I know it was only yesterday, the same self-same same fault I asked you to forgive, and I promised to renounce all my sinfulness. Yet I would even ask again your grace, except I fear I've drained your forgiveness dry and reached your utmost boundary. Then spoke God's mighty voice. With your poor human measuring tape, my child, did you think to measure my vast mercy's outer bound? With your short plumb rule at forgiveness's brink, do you think you can test its depth of ground? Drop in your weightiest sin 
and bid it sink to strike the bottom. Listen. There comes back no sound. Four important applications of this text this morning for you. Number one, don't be presumptuous. In order to receive God's forgiveness and forgetting, you must have experienced the merciful grace in your hearts. We call that a conversion. Repenting of sin, determining to turn away from that lifestyle, putting your faith in Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, and seeking to live for Him. Notice the word there, T-H-E-I-R, appears twice in our text. I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I'll remember their sins no more. That's talking about those who are part of the new covenant in their trust in Christ. So don't be presumptuous. This is just not a wonderful little idea for anybody and everybody. Number two, don't be careless. You cannot live with a constant lifestyle of sin so that grace may abound. Paul deals with this in Romans 6. People were saying, well, no, that means we can just go out and sin, disobey God over and over again, and we just go running to him and say, Lord, please forgive me. Paul says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If you've been truly converted, you won't want to live like that. Now, we keep sinning. But by and large, our lifestyle is, is characterized by obedience to the Lord and a desire to please Him. So don't be presumptuous. Don't be careless. Number three, don't keep dwelling on your past. Yes, mentally, we can't escape our past. Even the terrible things we've done, the sins we've committed. The consequences remain very strong and active at times in our lives because of our sins. But beware of being constantly miserable over your sins. That only panders to self. You're becoming inward too much. The Lord has forgotten our sins. Let us do the same. Because unless we get rid of our past, the past is going to seek to get rid of us. It's going to haunt us. It's going to dog us. It's going to sap our strength as we keep dwelling in a certain past sin or past sins. Don't be presumptuous. Don't be careless. Don't keep dwelling on your past. And number four, don't be afraid of your future. Every day for the believer should be considered as a fresh start, clean slate in our Christian journey. What a miserable salvation if God saved us and left his people to use their homemade religion to kind of patch up their holiness and to kind of build it up. How frustrating. How useless. How impossible. Instead, rest in the truth of what we've been considering this morning, that our sins have been forgotten by God, and use your energy in the truth of a passage like this 
to love your husband, love your wife, love your parents, love your children, serve the church, pray for missionaries, visit the sick, visit the, visit the needy, do a chore faithfully, honor your employer, study your school lesson, read your Bible, help your neighbor, and on and on and on we could go of what the Scripture teaches us, how we are to treat one another. Enough to keep us busy every day. Christian, you have been freed from the guilt and power of your sinful nature. Live like it. I conclude with the words of an old gospel song, the words written by Merrill Dunlop, based upon other words of the prophet Micah in chapter 7, verse 19, where, the Lord, where Micah prays to the Lord and says, You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And Dunlop has picked up that idea. The name of the song is They Are Buried in the Deep, Deep Sea. And it's especially a good song for a bass solo. The idea of thinking low. So let me read you the very short, very short two verses, and then the refrain to kind of bring all this together we consider in these last moments. All my sins, which were many, now are gone, gone forever. I have looked to find a single one in vain. Through the infinite mercy of a dying Redeemer, they can never, never trouble me again. Verse 2. They are gone. Hallelujah. There is no condemnation. Without fear, I look into my Father's face. All the darkness has vanished and my soul is rejoicing in the riches and wonders of His grace. And then the refrain, they are buried in the deep, deep sea. They can never, never trouble me. Cease my unavailing tears for my sins of all the years. They lie buried in the deep, deep sea. The God who forgets will never forget to forget our sins. I will remember their sins no more. Be encouraged by that today. Would you join me in prayer? Father, how we rejoice in this wonderful truth. We are burdened with guilt at times. And when we think of how holy you are, we, we cringe. That we are disobeying you time and time again. Yet your, your mercy and grace is so uh, rich, so free, so wonderful, that it reaches down to sinners like us and pardons our sins, and then you forget them. You do not hold them against us because of what Jesus has done for us. And so as we approach the table of the Lord, may we find what we do very meaningful this morning as we reflect upon this passage from your word, and we shall praise and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.